Well, speaking of someone that does or does not exist, I'm wondering for you, do you mourn J.T. Leroy? Because I know this person was very real to you, and I wouldn't say they're dead in a sense. I know that there was a passing away in terms of the story of the person, but do you mourn them? You know, I recently saw the scene from where they bring Tinkerbell back to life, and it's... Um, Everyone has to say, we believe, we believe. You know, Peter Pan's crying. It's like, we have to get you back. And, and the audience, uh, there was a show. And everyone's like, we believe, we believe. And Tinkerbell can come back. And I'm getting so many emails addressed to JT. And it's like that line that uh, the historian said about Bugs Bunny. He might not exist, but he lives. Nothing ever feels as good as an interaction through JT. It just doesn't. It's kind of like not, broccoli will never taste as good as caramel crunch ice cream. It just won't, you know, or burnt caramel. Um, it's so he's and he's still he's still there. So I I I mourn. He was asbestos gloves to handle material that I couldn't otherwise touch. And I got very used to going into that puppet to be able to express. And there's a way going into that puppet and being in there, I can get in deeper, like a psychic surgery when, you know, in the Philippines, when they go in and they take out and it's chicken guts and they're doing the psychic surgery, there's a way that I got into that habit and it, it just feels organic and normal and wonderful that when I'm now doing it on myself without those asbestos gloves, it's harder and it doesn't feel as normal to me it so I don't know if that answers you but mm -hmm. basically Definitely. yes and he's also still there okay I think people maybe in my opinion were unfairly upset over I mean how many people have written in a nom de plume and you've talked about this in avatars in this day and age of social media we all kind of have this alter ego and if that's what you needed to express this story mm. um, this sometimes I think the comments in an article mm. are, are more fascinating than the article mm. itself. So it was a con aimed at the publishing industry. It was the writer taking control instead of letting the publishers take control or advantage of the writer. But if shyness was partly the reason for the con, can't she be forgiven? Well, well the thing is, I, I don't like the word con. Like, I don't like the word hoax. Okay. I never said, I'm going to burst onto the literary scene. I was in and out of institutions. I was in a group home. I was in foster care. I was a ward of the state. This is all out there in the public record because I went through a trial, and it was all substantiated. He went through everything, and it's all there, and someone can do the research, so you don't have to take my word for it. There are interviews with people who were there in the group home with me who were my house parents. Um, doctors who were my therapist in my social worker, all of that. And the, getting published was 
the least of it. I never actually ever asked someone, hey, can you help me get a book deal? I never did. That never happened. The work was passed on and JT was offered a book deal, offered an agent. It never even occurred to me. It really was like very accidental. What I wanted to do was go artist to artist with people I admired and that all of this happened. I couldn't do it any other way. It was not possible. Uh, as a very young child, I disassociated and I told these stories in a male voice and I, it was the way I self-soothed. And that was where I, instead of maybe become a psycho killer, I became a storyteller. And they just, the need to interact with other people where, you know, Harv Darger, the painter, with his Vivian girls, he kept his world internal. He just would paint these portraits of these girls that were like his Barbie doll portraits. And it was enough for him to keep it for himself. Mine needed interaction with the outside world. Mine needed someone to tell them that it wasn't their fault. But of course it couldn't be me because they wouldn't tell that to me because I had so much shame. I would never ever tell anyone. The little times that I did start to talk about what was going on, I didn't get that help that I wanted. So all of this came out the way an oyster creates a pearl out of suffering that creates this pearl that's valued. So it wasn't a con on the, if people want to say it, it was this fantastic thing that I pulled over. That was not my intention. And I think that after the reveal or my outing, the media didn't step back and say, well, why would somebody go to this extreme to do all this? Nobody really looked. And I think I didn't help the situation because I dug in a trench, like everyone who was writing fake memoir. And my work was always published as fiction. It says fiction all over it. You know, when the fake memoir people, and I, I don't care about labels, so I'm not judging them, but what people would do, they would say, look, we're on to you, we know the whole truth. They would call a press conference and they would say, okay, I'm not really a pygmy from Antarctica, you got me, I apologize. I'm sorry, I'm going to rehab, which is the American narrative, right? I'm sorry, I'm going to rehab. And I didn't do that because for me, if you took him, I would die. So I dug in deeper against all logic because I couldn't imagine it's the Tinkerbell thing. You, you, how can you, it was fighting for my child, for this being's life. So I created kind of like a Javert, Jean Valjean kind of Les Miserables situation of hunting and that makes people mad. So the media was, they were mad and um, <clears throat> they, their language, perpetrator, hoax, the jig is up, come clean, um, culprit. It, it was very much a criminal, uh, like robbed a bank, sold crack to children kind of language that was used and that created the echo chamber. And so people who read work that invited them to be very vulnerable and perhaps re-stimulate their own trauma, which is what I was exploring in my work, they were told that what opened them was a joke or a hoax. And th that creates tr a trauma of itself. And not only that, if they felt attached to this being that I've murdered, I've killed JT, 
and it was a joke and they're being told that I'm laughing at them and I've pulled something over oh but it was a great wonderful con that's horrible that's horrible nobody wants to feel that so it took it had to take time for the dust to settle and, and then what's beautiful is the felt authenticity of the work survived what I gave myself over to and what's available there and people came back to it and said wait there's more to the story which is what happened with Jeff right what was your reason for wanting to take on the project and how long did you spend with it Jeff well my, my whole life is nonfiction and new journalism and there's nothing that I love more than than a truth is stranger than fiction story. Um, when the scandal broke in 2006, when the New York Times exposed Laura Albert as J.T. Leroy, I didn't even know about this. I had never heard of a J.T. Leroy, nor had I read the books. And it, the scandal generated just a massive amount of ink. And I read it all. Uh, a friend of mine turned me on to it years later. and. I just had this feeling that there was so much more to the story than we were being told. And it turned out I was right. And I reached out to Laura Albert. Uh, at this point in time, she'd been excommunicated by the literary community. She'd been labeled a pariah. She'd been found guilty of fraud in a court of law for signing the name J.T. Leroy on a, on a contract, on a movie option. And she was essentially curled up in a ball. Um, I sent her my film, The Devil and Daniel Johnston. That film deals vividly with the intersection of madness and creativity. And those themes really spoke to her. And she decided at this point to share her story with me. Uh, I came to learn that other documentarians, as well as Hollywood, had approached her previously, and she'd said no to everyone. Uh, but because of The Devil and Daniel Johnston, she decided that she was going to go down this road with me. And that's when we began. Laura, looking back from the first book, do you think it could have turned out any differently? There are so many tells that I knew what was going on, obviously, because for me it was being inside madness and outside. And for instance, there's a scene in, that's in the movie where I'm telling Gus where they're hunting uh, JT, they're now, hmm, they're hunting Sarah, they're hunting Cherry, the, the kid in the book, and he's in the woods and Pooh finds him and the townspeople have torches and they're going to tear him apart. And he's revealed to be something he's not. They've worshipped him and now he's a different gender and he's completely other than he's not Leroy. And uh, Pooh says, what were you thinking? And he says, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. And when I was writing it, I was crying. And I knew I was writing the future. There was no JT yet. Savannah wasn't in the picture. I had just given birth to a baby. And I knew I was sitting there just writing the future. And clearly, I knew there was nothing I could do to change it. Even the, the title, Heart is Deceitful Above All Things. Deceitful. And people after asked, oh, deceitful, as if I didn't know when I was 
titling it. There were tells all the way through. I just didn't have an exit plan because it was also his life and I wasn't going to end his life. So I just existed in a duality, which uh, if you're schizophrenic, it's a walk in the park. But if you're not, it's a difficult life. In terms of a writer um, writing in a different gender, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, so many people say it can be done, others say it can't. Some say that you can only do it if you really know that gender. Maybe you had a brother or sister that you were close to. What are your thoughts on that? I really feel like we should be able to create in any voice and anything we want, and some will be effective and some won't. And it's up for the public who buys it and consumes the work to sort that out. But until we are, we release our shame and are able to assume the voice of the other, I understand why some people feel their voices have been co-opted. But for instance, for me, it was nobody came back and asked me how I identified, nobody. And we didn't have the words gender variant, gender fluid, that wasn't there. And here, even though it wasn't there, I was that. And I felt that, and I was creating characters that were clearly gender variant, gender fluid, it's all there. And I knew the word trans did not fit, and that was the label that was put on. I reserve the right to express myself by any means necessary. Oscar Wilde said it's not for us to quarrel with the method that an artist chooses to express themselves. I'm paraphrasing. And I'm down with Oscar, you know? Laura, what have you learned from making a living with writing versus film? Are the two worlds similar? I, I made a living doing phone sex. <laughs> uh, that's storytelling? That, that is exactly storytelling. That is, that's why I was so successful at it. You got it. You absolutely got it. And I interweave so much of my storytelling um, from the phone sex world. It, 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 and I tell the stories of so many of the clients because I would take them off the clock and engage with them. What was your question? How to making a... Yeah, the literary world versus film and television parallels, differences in terms of making a living, getting work out there? For me, it's so much of writing I've done for money was never a motivating factor. And as you know, in the arts, it's a, a rarefied few actually make money from it. Um, it was quite wonderful when in third grade, I won, I, not I won, in third grade, I got $60 for being paid for a story I wrote that was in Plays Magazine, a protagonist that was male, uh, called The Flower That Grew Overnight. And to get that check for something I wrote, I was addicted. Um, the difference between television and uh, writing on your own, I love being in a writer's room. I love that. I love the camaraderie. I love everyone coming together and working on something. If I could do that all the time, I would. It 
it's my favorite thing. I have a, a friend that I wrote a script with and I absolutely, when you're with other writers and they're, they're good, it's playing tennis with someone that can hit the ball back. I hate when you're playing with someone and they can't get it. Because if I'm stuck and I can't get it, you know they can and that'll inspire you to whack the shit out of that ball and you're like, oh, there's nothing else like it. I love it. Yeah, so. Um, <clears throat> there's there's something you asked him about. Uh, the Taking risks? Yeah. And the one thing about doing this film, it really... If you had asked me, I would have wanted to have done this 10 years ago because I knew I needed something like this. There's the immediacy of film that transcends books. It takes people on the felt uh, uh, experience together where reading a book is so quiet and you're alone. I knew I needed something visual and forces you to have this experience in a sense because it's so visceral right and I was so far down a hole and I thought I was ready 10 years ago but I wasn't and he came at the right time which wasn't my time it was God's time spirit's time whatever you want to call it and the fact that I wasn't so defensive and cautious that I was able to be available to his work and what was the beauty of devil and what he was able to do in film and he really encouraged me to let go of my anger resentment and fear and just let it all be I gave him all the material the fact that he sorted all this massive archive that was not labeled the, I had no idea how he was going to do it because people say he said to me he said, you know, most people have an A, B story. You have an A, B, C, D, you know. And I, I couldn't do it. I, people are saying, you have to write your story. I'm like, I can't. I can't. And once he got underway, I was able to do it. Because also he helped me move to a place of owning everything. To, like Daniel, resting transparently. And because the writing has really brought me to a level of integration that some illnesses need medication to rely on, I was able through this whole process to become healthier in my body, mind, and spirit, such as it is. It's not perfect, but I can be available now when fans come. And uh, it brings, the film brings up a lot because of the sexual abuse that I talk about. And that was really hard, and I wasn't ready to talk about that 10 years ago. It's, it's, when I watch the film, I tremble. It's, it's really hard to see those pictures of me. We, we don't see very often on film morbidly obese women and talking about sexual abuse and things that are hidden from our culture. And, and for me, I have a lot of shame, but it also invites so many people to come and they need to talk about it. And the fact that I'm available now in my body to stand there with them and bear witness and to share my experience, strength and hope such as it is, that to me is such a profound gift that I am so grateful for. And everyone that gave JT time, I am so grateful for them because the truth is they bought me another day when I called them through JT 
Jeremy Terminator, when Terminator would call and say he was suicidal, that was my truth. I did not know how I was going to make it through the day and they bought me another day and this work has come out of it and I get the emails from people and they tell me how it's saving their lives and that they are able to talk about things that they never told anybody and I am there for them now. That to me, I never would have dreamt that. The fact that I am signing books under my name There's a poem by Robert Penn Warren, and it goes, this is the process whereby pain in its pastness may be converted to the future tense of joy.